You know, um, when I was a little girl, <coughs> we had these things called cassette players, and um, and my <laughs> my parents would make recordings of weird things, so they would like record TV shows like Sesame Street by just setting this cassette player really close to the TV. And we could listen to those when we went to bed. And then my mom had like this one cassette. Nobody will know this guy. He's a guy from Ontario. His name is Larry Marshall. But he did all of these hymns like that last song that we sang. And when you, when you had listened to the TV show on cassette or whatever it was when you were going to bed, if you still couldn't get to sleep, that's what my mom would put on for us. And so every time I hear these hymns, I have this incre- this vision of being like all tucked in my bed when I was a little girl, hearing this beautiful singing of music. That's how I got to know hymns. Anyway, I love that that happened. Those guys are all gone now, but thank you for leaving us in worship. Anyway, uh, okay. my name is Dana, and um, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad to be with you this morning. We're right in the middle of a series I'm really enjoying called Family Matters, and we've been talking about how important family is, how God loves us like a parent does. And then last week, uh, we talked a bit about the baggage that we sometimes get from our family of origin that we then carry into our families when we have kids of our own or we carry into our spiritual family. If you haven't heard all the messages, if you, if you need to kind of catch up, I just want to let you know that they're all available on our website, um, ericsincovenant.ca, and it's worth catching up in this series. They've been building on each other a bit and good information in there. So Today we're going to talk about raising kids, kind of. We're going to talk about raising little kids, but also about raising little Christians, which sounds kind of strange to us. Uh, You know, I I know that. Uh, So before we get into that, I want to tell you about my 18th birthday. Um, I was working as a camp counselor when I was turning 18, and it was a camp for inner-city kids. So these kids, their parents were struggling at the best of times. Um, One of the little girls in my cabin uh, she had come to that camp multiple years in a row, but the year before I had her in my cabin, um, her mom took her to the place where all the kids got together to take the bus to camp. So her mom brought her to the bus and gave her a suitcase and gave her a kiss and put her on the bus, and she went off to camp, and then her mom left town. And so this little nine-year-old girl like spent a week away at camp, and then when she came back on the bus, there was nobody there to pick her up. That was the way her mom got rid of her kids. And um, so, uh, you know, I'm ju- I just tell you that because that's, that's the kind of kid who was in our cabins that week. And um, they had a rough time. And what it meant was that coming to camp for a few days each summer was this magical experience. And it wasn't, it wasn't really because of the campfires and the swimming and the crazy songs. It was because for this block of time, for this week, every single adult that they met was safe. Every adult was patient, you know, mostly, and caring and gentle and consistent, like we were 17 years old, so anyway, uh, but, but pretty good. And they were fed three times a day, every single day. And when they went to bed, they were warm and they were safe and they put clean clothes on every day, even if it meant that as cabin leaders, we had to pick up all the clothes and do laundry every single night after they went to bed. 
because some kids only came with one set of clothes, right? So, okay. Every adult loved them, encouraged them, disciplined them when they needed it, coached them, helped them grow. It was a, a really phenomenal thing to be part of. And so anyway, July 31st, that's my birthday. And it was a terrible day at camp. To start with, it was hot and muggy, and I hate that. <clears throat> and so the camp is on this very high cliff on the side of Lake Erie. That's where my camp was. And so we had walked all the kids all the way down to the bottom of the cliff to go swimming in the lake. And while we were down there, we can kind of hear this rumbling. It's sunny. And then all of a sudden, these black clouds just pour over the cliff, <laughs> crackling with lightning and thunder. So the like, lifeguards start blowing their whistles, and we run all the kids up the hill, which is not easy. I don't even run, really, on the flat ground. And, and it's a big hill. So we run up the hill. And by the time we get up to the top of the hill, all the emergency bells are being rung at camp. You know how that happens when something's terrible, something terrible is wrong. Because there are tornado warnings everywhere. And so we have to rush all these kids into this little concrete basement room under the dining hall. <clears throat> so by late afternoon, I was cold and wet in a dirty concrete room with about 100 other people, and we were all still in our bathing suits, by the way, trying to put on these happy faces while we made up games on the spot that 80 crazed and terrified kids could play in a space that was like, I don't know, like the size of the stage. Like, just, that is not your best camp day. So as the chaos is swirling, one of the little girls in my cabin starts tugging on my arm, which I loved. Uh, your mom is here, she says, and, the, and that is impossible um, because there's a tornado, right? And my mom and dad live three hours away from the camp, and she doesn't know what my mom looks like anyway. And so I'm trying to be a good counselor, so I'm like, oh, wouldn't that be fun? No, that's not what's happening, and it's your turn in the game. You know, like turn her back around. No, I swear, I swear, your mom is here, she says. And so as I'm prying her fingers off of my arm, I just catch this glimpse in the distance of this woman, and I think, geez, that kind of does look like my mother. Well, sure enough, my mom and dad had packed up their car with balloons and presents and cake and driven three hours from their home to surprise me for my birthday. And it was long before cell phones and the weather network, so they didn't know that they were driving into a tornado and the entire camp would be on lockdown, right? But here they were, a portable birthday party, a vision of love and joy walking into this crazy, chaotic mess. They stayed for supper, and then they drove home, and the tornado warnings finished, and I finally got all my girls clean and into bed, and we, well, into their pajamas. And we sat down on the floor of the cabin, and they all held up their little flashlights so I could open my presents. And my mom, of course, who is so good with kids, had not really packed gifts for her 18-year-old daughter, but packed a whole bunch of little trinkets and special treats that 10-year-old girls would love to share. And so we're opening all this stuff up, and the girls are, ooh, and ah, and everything is so exciting. And then I hear this little voice say something I'll never in my life be able to forget. This little girl goes, wow, they must really really love you a lot. Like she never had a birthday party. Never in a million years thought about a mother driving all that way to bring presents to a camp. It blew her mind that that was possible. 
And my parents really, really did love me. You know, they still do. I was raised by excellent parents. They weren't perfect, of course, but they were pretty good. They were kind and gentle. They provided, with, pr- provided for me. They helped me deal with failure and success. They really helped me grow into the person that I am. Parenting. Parenting is really important. It might be the most important work there is. Now, that is not to say that's not a pressure thing, right? Like you can never make any mistakes if you're a parent. Not at all. Of course you can. But parenting is like shaping and developing and then launching this whole other human being. That's an incredible work to be doing. And at the beginning, parenting is mostly about taking care of a myriad of physical needs, isn't it? Those early days when you're just trying to keep them fed and calm and clean, and that seems totally overwhelming. It's like the hardest thing you've ever done until you have a toddler, right? And then your whole life is spent trying to keep them alive and safe and relatively in the same vicinity as you. (laughs) And that seems like the hardest thing. You know, you're teaching them to walk and talk and climb and fall and share and play to get along with others. Hardest thing in the world. Until you have a kid who's in school. And there are a thousand activities. And there are fights. And there are learning challenges. And there are cliques at school. And there's wanting the right toys and clothes and juggling the schedules and all the opinions. And then they become teenagers with all their own opinions and youthful recklessness, but at least they also get a driver's license right at the same time, right? And their friends become the most important influence in their life, and they want a lot of privacy, and all of a sudden, so much of their lives are outside of your sight and control. It's hard to be a parent. It's more complicated. Each stage feels more complicated than the last one, and you're trying to raise this connected, secure, confident, grounded adult, and then launch them out into the world. It's a huge job. Now, nobody's perfect, right? There are no perfect parents, but by and large, people are doing the very best they can with the resources that they have. And parents who love their kids and attend to them do okay. A lack of parenting, when parents are absent, either physically or emotionally, when there's abuse or neglect or abandonment, in the absence of some kind of intervention, that produces stunted adults. Right? They might be physically grown, but cognitively and emotionally, they're almost certainly lacking. And that's not a criticism, right? And it's not to say that if your parents were absent in some way that there's not stuff you can do about that as an adult. Of course there is. But we have to acknowledge that if parenting is such an important role, that the lack of parenting will have some consequences. Last week we talked about um, how every family has a rule book. Do you remember that? Some kind of unconscious but very powerful set of ideas that shapes how you live. These ideas about how things should be done. And those rules 
dictate most of our behavior, even if we're not aware of them consciously. And then the challenge, of course, is when our internal rules come into conflict with the rules, the new rules in Jesus' family, in the spiritual family. And we have to learn this new set of rules. The same way that children learn from their families, we have to learn in the church, in God's family. Well, discipleship is the word that we use for that. Discipleship is the process of learning to do life God's way. It's learning the rules of the spiritual family. It's basically spiritual parenting. That's what discipleship is. And good discipleship, just like good parenting, produces connected, secure, confident, grounded, mature Christians. And a lack of discipleship, just like a lack of parenting, produces stunted Christians. Someone described it this way in a book I was reading. He said, I was a Christian for 22 years. But instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just, kept, right? I just kept doing the same things over and over again. I never grew. That happens a lot, actually, way too often. People become Christians, and then that's it. They just stop growing. And so then, around the world, the church is full of these toddler Christians who look like middle-aged adults. Right? You might know some of them. <laughs> Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is a book we've been reading. It talks about this, and it says Christians who haven't grown up, haven't become mature, they look like this. They tend to ignore or avoid painful feelings, like anger or sadness or hurt. They might bury themselves in service or church work even, and, and that looks like they're being very faithful, but really they're doing it to avoid having to address the pain that's going on inside them. Sometimes Christians who haven't grown up tend to spiritualize away conflict. right? That is, they pretend everything's fine, they sweep conflict under the rug, when really it's still there and eating at them, and so then they end up doing weird stuff like turning to sarcasm or the silent treatment or saying one thing to your face but another behind your back. And it's because they haven't learned how to face conflict in a straightforward and honest way. They tend to judge other people's spiritual journeys. They cover up weakness and failure. They're unable to say no, so they end up having poor boundaries. If you want to read about it, you just think, oh, I just wish I knew more about all the ways that people can be stunted. Um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro does a great list of the symptoms of this. We, all of us, have some of these tendencies, right? That's why we're recommending the book so highly. It's not a blame game. I'm bringing these up because there are so many stunted Christians out there and in here. And there's way more than we like to admit. And I want to suggest that part of the problem is that we have been unwilling to engage in discipleship, in the spiritual reparenting that needs to happen when people join the spiritual family. I was reading a book called The Connected Child. Um, 
because I've been considering becoming a foster parent. And so this book is written for uh, foster or adoptive parents who are bringing a child into their home who has a whole different set of rules, right? They learned a whole different way of life. And the book is trying to help you figure out how to help your kid learn new patterns and understand what might be driving them under the surface that you've never even thought about. It's a really good book. Um, and I thought, it was, I thought it was really helpful to consider how adopted children start to adjust to their new families. If we step back and take a look, I think we find that Jesus did a very similar thing. He had, Jesus had a discipleship plan. He had a way of parenting the new Christians, people who were following him, so that they could become mature. He chose this little group, right? There were 12 of them to start with. And he basically took them everywhere he went for three years. It's an intense plan. He let them watch everything he did and hear everything he said to everyone he encountered. And then he would debrief it with them afterwards. They would often hear him teach, and then they would hear the whole message again on the walk home while he explained it. He would answer their questions and correct their thinking. And sometimes he got them to help out, like they distributed the food when he fed 5,000 people. But mostly, he was just with them a lot so that they could learn his way of being from him. That kind of life-on-life learning in a wide variety of circumstances over a long period of time That's what the Bible teaches us about discipleship. Paul was discipled the same way. He discipled other people the same way. But somewhere along the line in the Christian church, we have decided that instead of that kind of discipleship, people could become mature by just attending a couple of, you know, basics of Christianity classes. And most new believers are basically left to their own devices, left to figure it out on their own. Why do we do that? Why do we not want to disciple someone? Why do we not want someone to disciple us? Why do we say no? When I was in my last year of university, um, my friend Andrew approached me. He had met this young woman who was kind of struggling in a new faith, and he asked me if I would disciple or mentor her, and I just flat out refused. I was like, no, absolutely not. And Andrew was kind of shocked. Like, he was like, really? Why? And I get that, you know, his surprise. Like, I, it was a good question. I was a leader in a campus fellowship. I was on a worship team. I had preached a number of times. I'd been a Christian for a decade and been a camp counselor and a small group leader. Like, I knew all the things. I was a pretty good bet. And I just remember saying to him, look, no one ever did that for me, and I have no idea what I would even say or do. And plus, it is very weird to try to get together with somebody all the time who you don't even know. And so there's no way I'm going to do that. Just forget it. Thank goodness. I mean, like I have grown up over time, right? So um, I've learned a lot and I've discipled dozens of people. I don't still feel that way. But that experience really helps me figure out why we're resistant to discipleship. 
We don't want to disciple someone because we feel kind of like uncertain about what we would do. We were never discipled ourselves, so there's not a model. It feels weird to ask somebody to kind of formalize a relationship, right? You don't want to have to have a define the relationship talk with, with somebody. We feel insecure about what we would have to offer. You know, like the idea of being a teacher, right? Everybody should just be equal. And, and we don't want a friendship to turn awkward. And then on the other hand, we don't want to ask someone to disciple us, even if we think we need it, because we don't want to admit that we need help, right? We've been a Christian for a while. It feels like we should be further along. We don't want to ask for that. We don't want a friendship to turn awkward. We haven't seen anyone else do it, so it seems strange to step out. And those are valid reasons. I mean it. I really get them. The problem is, if we don't help each other grow, if we aren't willing to be spiritual parents for newer believers, Christians will grow up without parents. They will grow up without parenting. And they'll look and maybe even sound mature, but they will be stunted. There is a crisis of discipleship in churches today. And it can't be filled with programs and classes. You cannot learn to be a mature believer by attending a couple of classes with an expert. That's not how you learn life. You just don't. You learn life by living alongside another mature believer and letting their life shape yours. That sounds so nice. What on earth does that really look like, right? Okay, well, in Mark 9, um, there's a great story, and it gives us a window into how Jesus actually did discipleship. So this is printed in your bulletins. I'll read it for you. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you uh, arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be great, wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and made him stand among them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. It seems like for those 12 guys, one of the rules in their family was make sure you're the best, right? Get ahead of the other guys and make sure they know it. And so they're literally walking along the road trying to one-up each other and jockeying for position. And what we observe in the story is that Jesus noticed that that argument was taking place, but he doesn't say anything right away. Right? He doesn't snap at them on the road to quit bickering, and he doesn't shame them for caring about something so superficial as position. He just notices it, and then he waits. And then at the appropriate time, when they're all in the house together, he asks them about it. And when you're discipling or you're parenting, that's what you do. You watch, you observe, you listen. You don't presume or chastise. 
or shame them, but you don't ignore it either, right? You bring it up. You ask, what was going on there? And I just love that they don't want to tell him. Right? They already know they're doing something wrong. And that makes sense because we often have to learn the same lesson over and over. So they probably heard this teaching already. But when you go back a little bit in Mark 9, they had just been asked to do something they should have been able to do in public, and they couldn't do it. This ministry opportunity, and they couldn't make it work. And so they're probably feeling a little bit embarrassed and vulnerable and defensive. And so they're having the fight. They're trying to puff each other up. So what does Jesus do? He sits down and calls them over. It's the best parenting moment ever because that's what we want, right? Get down at their level. Make sure they're looking at you. (laughs) Look at my eyes. (laughs) What were you talking about on the way? And he very calmly tells them the truth. Guys, in this family, the greatest is the person who puts others ahead of themselves, who serves everyone. He corrects their perspective, and he teaches them a new one. And then he gives them a visual aid. He calls a little child over. And it's very striking in context because men would not have had anything to do with children in that, in that culture. And so if all the men are in one room, for sure all the children are in another room, probably in the kitchen with the women. And so Jesus calls over this child. It's a great way to hold their attention because it's uncomfortable. The revered teacher is calling over this little kid. And then worse than that, he's picking him up. When you're discipling or parenting, you speak the truth to people. Of course, you teach them and explain things. But you also demonstrate the truth with your own life. So Jesus doesn't just say you have to be in the lowest position He demonstrates it by picking up a child. The people who would have cared for children, the women, they were in the lowest position. That thing he's doing would have been considered far, far beneath him. And he's doing it proudly and cheerfully and tenderly. And then he goes further. He equates himself with the child, throws his lot in with him. He says, if you welcome a child like this, who is small, who is considered worthless, who you would normally pay no attention, you are actually welcoming me. And more than that, you're welcoming the one who sent me, who is God. So the concrete demonstration of the new rules and the new family, instead of looking for greatness, look for a child and take care of them. And you will literally be welcoming the God of the universe. And then, sort of casually, he directs their attention to the future. This isn't in your bulletin, but verse 41 says, Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Jesus knows, even though they don't, that eventually things will get a lot harder for these guys. He knows that a time is coming when they will be applying this lesson that whoever wants to be first must be last 
and the stakes will be way higher. They're going to be persecuted and arrested and killed. And it will matter in those days that they know that they know that this lowly, humble, humiliating spot is considered great by Jesus and by God. That being the last is the way you are first. When you're discipling someone, you use the present to prepare for the future. It seems like it might not matter what they're arguing about on the road. Jesus would be tired. He could have let that go. But he would have missed an opportunity to shape something in them, something they would definitely need in the future. He's preparing them to walk on their own. And you see the parallels to parenting, right? This is what parenting is like. I'm not a parent, but a lot of you are. You ask questions, you watch your kids, you take in information, you correct their actions and behavior. You use a lot of examples and you demonstrate the right way to do something. You live it out in your own actions. (laughs) Someone just stuck their tongue out at me (laughs) through this window. (laughs) That's going to sound funny on the podcast. Okay. Um, You prepare your children for the future. That's good parenting. But it's also good discipleship. And we need good discipleship. There is no other way for people to learn and grow. How often have you been in the situation where you hear somebody arguing about greatness or whatever it happens to be that day? You overhear someone gossiping about someone else or making a racist joke. Right? Or tearing down another church. How, how often have you decided, that's really none of my business? Let me tell you something. They will not grow. They will not mature if we don't get involved. What if instead... You got together. Like, we're not trying to embarrass people in the moment. But instead, you got together later on and said, tell me about that conversation you were having. What if you explained why it was wrong? What if you offered a different perspective? Discipleship is not rocket science, right? You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the answers. You do have to be brave. You have to be willing to speak up. It's about being intentional friends with someone who's growing, asking them questions, letting them ask you questions. It's about being together enough in a variety of circumstances that they can watch you and you can watch them. That's what gives you things to talk about. For example, this is a made-up example. Conflict is one of the hardest things to learn how to do well in the new family, right? It is very hard to deal with conflict maturely. So let's say that you know a new believer who keeps picking fights with her husband. Well, you can talk about that in a coffee shop all day long, and it won't make anything like the same impact that it would have if you invited her and her family to go camping with you and your family for a weekend. 
because she needs to watch in real time how you interact with your husband. And not just when you're putting on a show on Sunday morning or at a dinner party, but when it's been raining for three days and the the kids are upset and the tent won't go up and the campfire won't start. Right? Because she needs to see what happens when you argue and then you resolve it. And then later you apologize and forgive each other and, and laugh about it. When she sees that, she's literally seen someone model an entirely new way of interacting with a spouse. And I bet she'll have some questions the next time you go for coffee. Or, for instance, say you know a new Christian who seems to think he shouldn't have to do very much parenting. His wife will take care of that. You need to gently correct that perspective. You can even use the scripture from today. It's all pre-made for you. And then you need to invite that guy on a dad's and kids afternoon. No mums allowed. So he can watch how you parent, how involved you are, how normal it is for fathers to be active parents in the family of God. Discipleship is being a spiritual parent to someone else. And it's needed. It is the only way we can help people get used to the new family and become mature Christians. So how do we apply this message? Well, first of all, we have to take the leap into discipleship, right? There's just no other way around it. The great thing is that now everyone has heard this message, and so you can use it to break the ice. You're welcome. If you've been listening today and thinking, oh, man, I really need someone to help me learn how to live in this new family, then your job is to ask someone who seems like they're just a little bit further along if you could get together and if you could ask them some questions. If you don't know anyone, like you literally don't know any people who have been following Jesus longer than you, you can call Tom or I and we'll help you find someone, but I bet you know some people. If, on the other hand, you've been listening today and thinking, right, okay, I really think it's time for me to offer some of my experience to someone else, then your job is to ask someone if they'd like to get together and chat about life, right? You can ask them, how did they start following Jesus? How is it changing their life so far? What do they love about it? What are they struggling with? Hang out with them. Go to their house. Have them over at your house. Do an activity together. Give yourself some time to get to know each other and watch for opportunities to ask questions. Maybe offer perspective. The second application is a bit of a flip because we've been talking about how good parenting uh, can inform our discipleship. But if you're a parent, you might also want to think about how good discipleship can inform your parenting. We were talking about this with the Timothy Project a few months ago, and then about a week later, a woman came and said, I cannot believe how this is helping me parent my teenagers. Like, it just suddenly occurred to me, my job is to get them ready to be adults. And so I can't protect them from everything or control everything in their lives anymore. I have to start letting them try things out and maybe letting them fail and getting them ready to do things on their own. And it was a total revelation for her. 
really good perspective on parenting, especially older kids and teens. Finally, I want us to take Jesus' words about children seriously. Jesus said, whoever welcomes a little child like this welcomes me. Um, That was not a metaphor, right? It wasn't like, it wasn't just an example. That is a direct, concrete invitation for us to welcome and care for children. It's part of the reason that through the history of the church, children's ministry and kids' programs have been so important. We love kids because Jesus loves kids. And yet, really often, no one wants to give their time and energy to care for kids who aren't their own. We say things like, that's not my passion. I've done my time. I already spend all day with kids. I know. But I want to challenge you to reconsider. Somehow, to become involved with kids who aren't yours, whether it's taking your friend's kids on a regular basis, getting involved in children's ministry, maybe becoming a foster parent or a big brother or big sister. Welcome a child because Jesus asked us to. And let's trust him that that will be good for us. I have preached about discipleship a lot of times. Not here, but lots of places, lots of times. And I know that this is a hard message to hear. When you walk out of here, there are a thousand reasons to just dismiss this challenge. Let's be different from that. We are already a congregation where people can come and be welcome and belong fairly easily. And we are already a congregation where people meet Jesus and come to faith and are baptized. It's really fun to see that. Let's also be a congregation where we help each other grow up in our faith, encourage each other, coach each other, help each other learn. Let's be Christians who become mature together. I want to do that with you. Let's pray together. Father, I, you know, I love your word. And Jesus, I'm so grateful that while you were here, you let us see what you were doing with people. You let us see these men who were in your life and how they grew, how you taught them. You could have done this differently. There could have just been a rule book, just a list of things, do's and don'ts. That's not what we have. We have these stories about you engaging with your friends and teaching them how to follow God by watching your life. We're grateful for that. I pray that that would be true in our lives. If we need help learning about the new family, I pray that you would give us courage to ask for that. If we've been hesitant about offering or extending ourselves to someone else, make us brave. Make us bold. Would you prepare us and then give us opportunities to be spiritual parents to one another so that we can grow up into all the fullness of who you are and become adults in your family. We pray those things in your name. Amen.